seventh week of our series, uh, The Journey. We're basing it on the life of Abraham. By the way, let me just say, I sat where you sit. We're sitting right now last weekend, and I listened to Donnie. And uh, I don't think I've said this, but boy, when you see him, let him know how, gift, how fortunate we are to have someone with his giftedness to be here and to be a part of the Hope family. And I just love working. I love it. I told Laura, when I, when I come and I hear Donnie talk, I feel like I've been at Hope, and I feel like nothing misses a beat, and I just want to thank him because some of the topics that he's taking on, see, the cool thing about starting the church, you can give him things like Melchizedek and stuff like that. You go deal with that. I, I want to do the fun stuff like we're talking about this weekend, but we're in the seventh week. It is based on the life of Abraham. We're learning from Abraham what it looks like to trust God for the journey that he desires to take us on. It's the journey, see, he wants to take us on. He wants to take us on. Now, I stress that because if he's taking us on the journey, that means he's leading the journey. That means that he's in charge of the journey. And if we're actually gonna go on this journey with God, to be honest, this is where the rub comes. Because let's face it, if you're like me, you like being in charge. You like knowing where you're gonna go. You like, you, you, how long is it gonna take you to get there? When are you going to arrive? And because of that, there's something scary about going on this journey with God. There's something scary about trusting God with our life, especially when it comes to trusting God for our future. And the reason it's so scary is because, let's face it, if God is in control, you know what that means? That means that I'm not in control. And I'm not sure I'm gonna like where he's gonna take me. And I'm not sure I'm gonna like the journey. And I'm not sure I'm gonna like how we get there or what it takes for me to get to where he wants me to be in my life. I mean, if you're like me, you prefer to be in charge. You prefer to lead. You wanna make those plans. We just took our kids and grandkids to Disney World for a few days. We decided this year, no Christmas presents. Let's, let's just do this experience together. Uh, I've been pastoring Hope for 23 years. My family has suffered through that. They, they never see me at Christmas Eve. Uh, mine and Laura's anniversary is on the 23rd of December. I'm here. We don't sell, get to celebrate those things. So I said, let's just do something different. Let's get away for a few days before the holidays get here. And one thing I learned about traveling with my family, first of all, I told Laura, this is, this is what it's like. If you go on a trip with your kids and grandkids, it's a trip. If you go without them, it's a vacation. There's a big distinction there. But what I learned is my kids and grandkids aren't that excited about the fact that I am a guy who likes to make plans. They're like, they wanna lay back, they wanna get up, they wanna get in the van, they wanna take off, get to the park, whenever, and, but I'm gonna make a plan. And it got to be a joke every night we're coming back from wherever, they would say, uh, Dad, uh, what's your plan for tomorrow? And I could hear them rolling their eyes and elbowing each other. And I, of course I have it, right? Well, I think if we're walking out of the condo at 747, we'll be in the van with our seatbelts buckled at 750. That'll get us to the park at 818. Through the gate at 833, we should be at Space Mountain right on time to use our fast pass, right? Like, and they just roll their eyes. That's just the way I operate. See, but when you give your life, when you give your future over to God, you decide that you're gonna go on the journey and walk by faith. That's not the way it works. What you discover all of a sudden is it's not about our plan. In fact, this is what God said in Isaiah 55 verse eight. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God basically is saying this, I created you. I have known you since you were in your mother's womb. I wove you together. I have a purpose. I have a plan for the journey that I wanna take you on. Your decision is this. You can either go on that journey with me that I desire to take you on, or you can settle for second best. But at the end of the day, it's our choice. We get to decide whether or not we're gonna follow God on the journey. 
And if we're really gonna follow God, if we're really gonna trust him with our future, if we're really gonna live that way, this is what I'm learning. We'd better not get too attached to our thoughts and our ways and our plans. And as you think about it, this really applies to several areas of our life. For example, let's be honest, we have a tendency to get attached to our stuff, stuff like our money, the stuff that we can buy with our money. I mean, let's be honest, uh, things that we dream about one day, one day, often become a reality. It's because we're competent. It's because we can pull those things off. We can make it happen. Maybe it's that dream car, a dream house. It could be a dream vacation. And when our dreams finally become a reality, it is really easy for us to now get attached to our stuff. Another area where we get attached is to our careers. Hardly a week goes by that I don't talk to someone who lost their job, or maybe they had to shut down that business that they started. And I gotta be honest with you, that's not really that big of a problem if your image isn't wrapped up in what you do, but if it is, it's a tough time. Another area where we get attached is to our plans and dream. You may be here this weekend and you're suffering through the death of your dream. I mean, you had life planned out, you had it mapped out, you had your thoughts, your ways, your dreams, but now you're learning firsthand what God means when he says, my thoughts and your thoughts, my ways and your ways, my plans and your plans, my dreams and your dreams may not always line up. And yours didn't line up. And it's always tough, it's hard to see a dream die. But I think probably the toughest area when we talk about being attached to things has to do with relationships. It could be a mate, a parent, it could be a child, it could be a friend. Maybe it's a romance that you were 100% certain was going to end in marriage, but things have a way of changing, don't they? Roommates move out, coworkers find new jobs, neighbors move on. And when these people leave us, our worst case scenario, maybe they're taken from us, there's this incredible sense of void and loss in our lives. But my point is this, if you're really gonna trust God, if you're really gonna go on the journey, if you're gonna trust him with your life and with your future, and if you're gonna do this journey and you're gonna walk by faith, you're gonna have to learn at some point, my thoughts and my ways and my plans aren't always God's thoughts and ways and plans for my life. Now, the story we're gonna look at this weekend from the life of Abraham may be the best example of this principle found anywhere in the Bible. So if you have your Bible this weekend, Genesis chapter 22, or your phone or your iPad, whatever you have, you click on whatever, Genesis chapter 22. If you didn't bring your Bible, we'll put the verses up on the screen. The story begins with a rather straightforward command, Genesis 22 verse one. Sometime later, God tested Abraham, so here we go again. He said to him, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and we know we know that he's not the only son. We saw that Abraham also had a son through Hagar. His name is Ishmael. But this is a reference to the son that he loves because God has promised that his descendants, this new nation, the Messiah, is going to come through Isaac. So he says, you take Isaac and you go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will share, show you. And that doesn't sound like a bad idea if you got a teenager. I mean, sometimes, don't, don't you want to do that? But in reality, see... Let's be honest, it would be tough for any parent, you know, regardless of the child. But you gotta remember, this isn't just any child. This is the miracle baby Isaac. 
Remember how God came to Abraham when he was 75 and said, you're gonna have a descendant, a great nation's gonna come to you, uh, someone's gonna come to you, the Messiah, all the world, all the people of the world are gonna be blessed through who comes through your descendants. Of course, that's a reference to the Messiah. Abraham had to wait for 25 years before that dream became a reality. 100 years old, God gave him that baby. Now God comes and says, I want you to take that miracle baby boy that I gave you, the one that I made you wait 25 years to have, and I want you to sacrifice that boy to me. Now that's the test. Now here's the thing, here's the problem. For many of us who grew up in church, the story is so commonplace, you, you, you've missed it. So you've gotta, you've gotta pretend you're hearing this for the first time. Can you imagine what that would be like? And I know what some of you are thinking. This is probably the question I, I get asked more than any other time. Why would a loving God, you know, we get that all the time. Why would a loving God, why would a good God ask Abraham to do anything like that? Why would a good God ask any parent to do something like this? See, we hear this, we read this like, God, what are you thinking? Are you taunting him? Are you just being mean? It sounds like you're being emotionally abusive, right? But according to verse one, it was to test the authenticity of Abraham's faith. In other words, think about this. God wanted to find out what Abraham loved most. Did he love God most? Or did he love God's gift, Isaac, the most? Now, when you think about it, that's a fair question. I think for all of us as Christians to work through. What do I love the most? My health or the God who gives me my health? What do I love the most? My career or the God who gave me the gifts and ability that allows me to do my career? What do I love the most, my family, my spouse, my children, or the God who gave me my family, my spouse, my children? So God comes to Abraham and says, okay, Abraham, here's the test. I wanna see where your true alliance, or, or true allegiance, your true affection lies. He says, I want you to take that miracle boy and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And as you read the story, you can't help but be impressed with Abraham's swift obedience. And this is kind of a character trait we've seen in the life of Abraham. You may, may remember back in chapter 17 when God says, Abraham, I'm gonna give you a sign of the covenant that I have with you. And we're gonna say a lot about this covenant next week as we wrap it up and, and put a Christmas twist on this story. But you remember he said, I'm gonna give you the sign. And I'm sure Abraham was thinking, what could the sign possibly be? And God said, what? Yeah, circumcision. And it's interesting, at that point, Abraham didn't say, woo, I think about that. Or like you would say, I gotta pray about that. So that's the spiritual way to do it. Or I gotta, I gotta check my doctor. I don't even know if that's wise at my age, God. You know, no, it says, on that very day. On that very day. In the same way you look at this story, there's no argument, there doesn't seem to be any hesitation or bargaining or reluctance. In fact, it says in verse three, early the next morning. Early the very next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. And I can feel the tension if you're new to church, if you're new to this story. So let me just show you something that's pretty cool. Let me show you what faith, what trusting God with your life, trusting God with your future really looks like. Look at verse five. On the third day, so we know it was a three-day journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I, while I and the boy go over there. Now notice this. We will worship and then we, we 
will come back to you. In other words, we're gonna go up that mountain and we're gonna worship and then we are going to return. Now, how did Abraham know that? Is that just the power of positive thinking? I'm just gonna think positive thoughts. Is that what it is? No, the answer is actually found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. This is what it says. The writer of Hebrews says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, remember the father of the Jews, the great nation, the Messiah, Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, Though God had promised him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Look at this. Abraham assumed. Now, we all know what assume means, right? But it works out for Abraham. Abraham assumed that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life. Wow. I mean, how is that for faith? Abraham simply thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God promised me that my descendants are going to come through Isaac. God now wants me to sacrifice and take the life of Isaac. I guess that's no big deal. God's already made his promise. I guess he'll just bring him back to life. In other words, Abraham knew that if he had to kill Isaac, somehow God would resuscitate Isaac and then he would walk back down Mount Moriah with Isaac. That's how much he trusted God with his life, with his future. That's why he could say in verse five, we will go, we will worship, and then we're gonna come meet up with you guys and we are going back home. So Abraham leaves his servants and he takes Isaac and they head up the mountain together. And as they're making their way up, Isaac notices something in verse six. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I'm sure Isaac's thinking, what's going on here? I mean, yeah, dad's getting old. He's way over 100 years old. Maybe he's losing it a little bit, but he would never forget something as important as the lamb for the sacrifice. Like, where is it? And you can't be, help but be impressed with Abraham's response in verse eight. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Hey, Isaac, why do you say we just leave that detail up to God? Let's enjoy this experience. In fact, Isaac, I'm promising you, you're gonna experience something today you're probably never gonna experience again. Let's just enjoy this journey together. Now, let me just say something. This mentality is so foreign to some of you who are listening this, week, this weekend, you can't even begin to wrap your head around this story. I mean, you cannot even remember the last time that you stepped out on faith and you took a risk with God. In fact, some of you, because I know you, because I'll talk to you about mission trips and other things. Some of you wouldn't even get out of your own backyard if you didn't have to at some point go to the store or you had to go to work or you had to go to school. I mean, every aspect of your life has to be within the lines. Every dime, every penny has to be accounted for. It has to make sense. In fact, you hear about raising an extra $100,000 for our Agape campus, and you're like, yeah, oh no. No, because it doesn't fit. It just doesn't fit. See, Abraham's like, whoa, let's just throw caution to the wind. Don't worry, Isaac. I have this feeling that God is going to provide. What do you say we just trust him? But Isaac's no dummy, he's got this figured out. Verse nine, when they reached the place 
God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. And when Isaac realized what was really going on and that his old man had flipped out, he took off looking, he split down the mountain. That's not what it says, but that's why some of you should bring your Bibles to church. I could tell you anything, right? You don't know if I'm making this stuff up or not. That's not what it says. What's interesting, if you read it, there's no indication of a fight. There's no indication of a struggle. I'm sure at this point, Isaac could probably take the old man. There's no, there's no negotiation. Because I, I think Isaac's like, Dad, I don't know what's getting ready to go down, but I'm right there with you. Now imagine this scene, verse nine, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. And I believe that Abraham raised that knife, that dagger with every intention of plunging it right into the center of Isaac's chest. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a voice says, stop. And I'm thinking that Isaac is rather relieved at this point, you know. But I'm guessing that he's no more relieved than Abraham. That's enough, Abraham. Put down the knife. We're good. You passed the test. God ever put you through a test and then stopped you at the last minute? First church I was pastoring was in Southern California. I, I often refer to that first church as, as Camelot. Partly it was because I was 24 when I took it over. Laura was 21. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. I hadn't even been to seminary yet. But God just blessed us. The church just grew and exploded and all these young families were coming to Christ and it was just super cool. And the church grew and whenever your church grows, uh, sometimes people notice. And so one day I was in my office and I got a call from a couple of men in Columbus, Ohio. And they said, hey, listen, we, we pastor, we're here at, we're on the board at a church here in Columbus and our pastor resigns going to the mission field. And we were, we've heard a lot about you. We, we kind of checked you out. We, we were wondering if you would consider being the pastor of our church. And I said, well, no, thank you. I'm, I'm not really interested. I'm, I'm where I, I believe God wants me. I'm really pleased to be here. But thank you, I'm honored that you would ask. And then they asked me the weirdest question. They said, would you pray about it? Well, I mean, I'm a pastor. I can't say, no, I'm not even gonna pray about it, right? <laughs> so you know what I said? I'll pray about it, but I'll be honest with you. I never prayed about it because I had no intention. Plus, I was 100% sure God did not want me to go to Columbus, Ohio, right? Oh my gosh, from Orange County to Columbus, Ohio? <laughs> so I said, we'll call you back in a couple of weeks. So Laura and I, we would talk about it. But seriously, I never prayed about it. But during that two-week period of time, God began to work in my heart to like, oh my goodness. God may want us to go to Columbus, Ohio. So on that Sunday afternoon, I'll never forget, I'd finished preaching the morning services and they were supposed to call me about two o'clock that afternoon. So I told Laura I was just gonna stay at the office. And I stayed there and I waited for their whole board to call. And we had a conference call. And at the end of it, they said, so we really would like to extend to you an invitation, you and your wife and kids to come out and visit and let's have a conversation in, in, about, about you pastoring the church here. And I said, that's fine. Uh, just call my assistant and you can set up the arrangements. And I hung up and there was a sense of, oh, and I got up and I walked out of my office between my office door and my car in the parking lot. It was almost, almost as God, it was almost God, as if God audibly said to me, 
okay, you don't have to go. You don't have to go. And I went home and I walked in the door and Laura said, what did you tell him? I said, I told him we would go. But I said, we don't have to go. I said, I have never been more sure of anything in my life. We don't have, do you know how relieved I was? Can you imagine living right in the middle of all of those obnoxious Ohio State Buckeye fans? I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it. I mean, I would, I would have killed some of them. Anyway, ended up in prison. It wouldn't have been pretty, but I had a prison ministry. So maybe God had a plan. But anyway, anyway. But I was so relieved. But I, you know what? It was, a, I think God was saying, I just want to, I want to see what you love more. Do you love the church that I've allowed you to grow up under you? Or do you love me more? You're going to have those times of testing, right? Put down the knife. And look what it says in verse 11. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham, I want you to notice this. Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Now I want you to notice something here. And to this day, and to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Why would it say that? To this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Well, maybe you wanna know, and this is why you should go to Israel with me. The days and months and years and centuries passed, and over those centuries, the name of this place changed from Mount Moriah to Mount Calvary. And it was there that God offered up his son to pay for our sins so that we could be restored back to a relationship with God. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That's cool stuff, isn't it? By the way, wouldn't you love to see Abraham interviewed on Jimmy Fallon after something like this, you know? Our, our program team has too much fun sometimes, but I can see it going down. Abraham, it's all over the news, what you did with your son. I mean, the soccer moms are up in arms, ACLU, they're talking court case, maybe taking Isaac out of the home. I gotta ask you, Abraham, if God asked you to do, all, do it all over again, if he put you in a similar situation, would you respond the same way? And I think Abraham, without even thinking, would say, you bet your life I would. It's been quite the journey. It's taken me a while to figure it out. Taken me a while to get here. There's been some ups and downs, trust me, on this journey I've had with God. But looking back, he has never failed me. Sure, Jimmy, no problem. I trust him with my life. Now here's the big question. Do you? Do you trust him with your life? Can you really say you trust him with your future? When your dream dies, when your marriage fails, when your job ends. Maybe sometimes when he does something as painful as takes a loved one, takes a spouse, takes a child, can you really say, I trust him with my life, I trust me, I trust him with my future? Because if you can't, you know what the alternative is? For a Christian that's living a life of darkness and despair and 
hopelessness and fatalism. And I mean, if you want to live that way, you, you can certainly live there. But I'll tell you this. If you're going to be a person of faith and you're going to go on the journey with God, you are going to have to make this decision at some point. I don't want to spend another hour of my life thinking that God doesn't have what it takes to take care of me. That God has lost his stuff to provide for me. I don't want to spend another hour of my life thinking that he can't do something great in my life. That he can't do something great in the life of my family. You're going to have to decide which way you want to live. Do you trust him or do you not trust him? I, it's no secret to many of you and part of it's because I wear my feelings on my sleeve. I just kind of let it all out there. In fact, somebody told me one time, they said, listen, the thing we appreciate about you so much is your transparency. But you know what people hate about me so much? <laughs> my transparency. In fact, I ran into a family and they said, yeah, we used to be at Hope, but we had to leave. I said, why? They said, we couldn't get used to your transparency. I said, what do you mean? They said, we need somebody on a pedestal. Somebody that we can look up to. And I'm like, yeah, you made the right decision. You, you should, probably should have left. But um, the last couple of years have been tough. A lot of darkness at times, disappointment, sometimes just disillusioned. And, I'll, you know, and I'm looking all over the place in the thicket for a ram, right? Like, God, get me out of this mess. And some of those times were tough and uh, more tough to endure than you'll, you'll ever know. I'm not quite that transparent yet. And I just wanted to run. You ever just want to run, you know? In fact, one time I was watching uh, one of my favorite TV shows. It's called The Edge of Alaska. It takes place in McCarthy, Alaska. It's a little, used to be a former, you know, like a, a mining town that, you know, went belly up. And now there's like 40 or 50 people that have migrated to that part of Alaska. And I think they're all running from the law or something, right? And they've kind of settled there. And they're kind of living off the grid. And nobody really knows they're there. And, and uh, I'm watching this show. And, and I, Laura's on a computer you know, because she's working on her lesson. I was watching it on a Saturday morning. She teaches here on the weekends in Kid City. And, and I sensed she was looking at me. I looked over and said, what? She says, you're going to do that one day, aren't you? <laughs> I said, do what? She says, you're just going to disappear one day, aren't you? I said, maybe. <laughs> but you could probably find me in McCarthy, Alaska, right? Right? But why would you even think about those things? You know what? On the journey, I'm telling you, there are going to be times where you just get frustrated with God's lack of response. Don't you sometimes just get frustrated think, he's not even listening to me. He doesn't hear a word I say. And it's just dark. You feel like you're in it all alone. The only, the only light at the end of the tunnel is the oncoming train. and That's not what you're looking for. Everything seems impossible. Donnie did a phenomenal job of addressing how nothing is impossible with God. But see, we've all been there. But see, here's the thing. This is what I've learned. Just about the time you think all is lost and there's no light whatsoever, this is what I've learned. Bah. Yeah. And you know what God has reminded me time after time, and you think I would get it by now, that while I'm walking up my side of the mountain, that God has a ram walking up the other side of the mountain. But here's the thing. If I stop walking up the mountain and I decide that I'm just gonna take matters into my own hands and I'm gonna bolt and I'm gonna cut and run. See, I miss out on that prayer that might get answered next week. I miss out on how God's getting ready to intervene and maybe solve that problem that's just been wrecking my heart. I, I miss out on how God's getting ready to relieve the pressure 
of my situation. Sometimes I just have to tell myself, grow up, Mike. Abraham waited 25 years. And finally, and I'm embarrassed to say it's taken so long, I am finally learning that if I will just keep putting one foot in front of the other, if I will just keep walking by faith, if I will just keep trusting God for the journey, inevitably he will lift the darkness, inevitably he will intervene, and he will prove to be gracious, and he will prove to be supernatural in some ways. And I'm always grateful I didn't quit. I didn't run. So what about you? How are you gonna walk into the future? You know, some of you listening this weekend, you've been coming for a while, you've been kicking the tires of Christianity and checking it out. And I know because I've talked to some of you, you've, you've come right up to the point of following Jesus, right up to that edge where you're thinking about trusting him with your life, trusting him as your savior. But then all of a sudden, panic sets in. You begin to think, man, if I give my life over to God, if I give my future over to God, my freedom's gonna be gone, the fun's gonna be over, I'm gonna put on that religious straight jacket and life's just gonna be miserable. I wanna tell you, that is not the God I worship. You know what God will do? If you'll invite him into your life, he'll open doors, he'll free your spirit, he'll give you purpose like you've never had before. He will use your life in ways you could never imagine. But I'm gonna tell you something, you're never gonna experience that unless you can take that step of faith and trust him with your life. Let me tell you, if you're searching, just get it done. Just close the deal. Just take the step of faith. See what, see what, see what God does. You're never gonna know unless you take the step. But the other group that's listening this weekend, you've, you've, been, you've been Christian for years, maybe just playing it safe. You, you still don't have the courage to take risk. You, you don't have the courage to move when God nudges you to move. There are just certain areas of your life. No, longer, no matter how long you walk with God, you, you just can't trust. You can't walk by faith and you just can't put it on, on the line. For some of you, you I, don't, I, just, I don't know if you'll ever get there with your finances and you'll never experience the joy of God partnering with you in your financial worlds. Or maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's a career. But I love this verse, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord range, and literally the Hebrew word means searches. The eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He just wants people who are all in. I mean, maybe it's just time for you to, to get out of the safety zone and take that step of faith and follow a nudging, a prompting from God. Do what he's been asking you to do, but you've never had the guts to do. I talked to somebody who's been at Hope for 20 years and he says, Mike, this is the hardest conversation, but there's a new little church starting up in Apex and I feel like God wants me to take what I learned at Hope and go there. I said, do you feel like that's what God's calling you to do? He said, yeah. I said, well, give me a hug, you know, but go. Don't stay here if that's what God is nudging you to do. But you've got to, to do that because he's, he's involved in ministries here and things here. You've got to have the courage to release the controls of your life, the things that you're attached to so that you can put your future into his hands. Let me tell you something. It would blow us away if we could get a glimpse of the life that God has planned for each one of us. In fact, this is what I want you to do. Turn to the person beside you. Just look him in the eyes. Wake him up, look him in the eyes, okay? Wake him up, yeah, wake him up. I'm looking, okay, look, at, look right in the eyes of the person beside you. Go on, I'm gonna sit here all night. I got nowhere to go, it's snowing, who cares? Okay, look, look right into their eyes, okay? I want you to say this to them, ready? I can see you in the future. Say it like you mean it, I can see you in the future. Say it simultaneously. Okay, and you look much better than you do right now. No, say that, say that, say it. I see you in the future and you look much better than you do right now. 
Okay, don't laugh. But here's the deal. To experience that, the life that God has for you, at some point you're gonna have to release whatever it is that you're clinging to and you're gonna have to trust God for your future. What are you hanging on to? Is it a possession? It could be that. Is it a dream? It could be that. Is it a person? It could be that. Is it your career? It, it, it could be that. I mean, I don't know what God wants you to hear this weekend. For all I know, I tell you, I'm, I'm speaking to someone and you're just, you're just holding some, something so tightly in your grip. You cannot let it go. Just throw it down. I'm telling you, God is trustworthy. I'm telling you, God will provide. I'm telling you based on experience. If he takes something from you that, he, that you just cherish, he has got something better to replace it with. Just like with Abraham, he's got a ram in the thicket. And maybe you can't see it right now. Maybe you don't know how he is going to come through, but I'm telling you, he will provide. But if you're gonna experience that, you're gonna have to surrender to the journey. A couple of years ago, we did a series and our team made an incredible video. And as I was sitting in my office at home working on this message this week, I asked him, could we show that one more time? So I wanna just wrap up this message by having you watch this video. You remember, but this describes what the journey is like. Watch the side screens and then we'll pray. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong. He was out there, sort of like a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I really didn't know him. But later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life was rather like a bike ride, but it was a tandem bike, and I noticed that Christ was in the back, helping me pedal. I don't know just when it was that he suggested we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, I knew the way. It was rather boring, but predictable. But when he took the lead, he knew delightful long cuts, up mountains and through rocky places at breakneck speeds. Even though it looked like madness, he said, pedal. I did not trust him at first in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But he knows bike secrets, knows how to make it bend to take sharp corners, knows how to jump to clear high rocks, knows how to fly to shorten scary passages. And I am learning to shut up and pedal in the strangest places, and I'm beginning to enjoy the view with my delightful, constant companion, Jesus Christ. And when I'm sure I just can't do any more, he just smiles and says, pedal. bow with me. Let's just close our head, close our eyes just for a second. I know that it's, it's easy to talk about holding things loosely and it's easy to share a few thoughts from a story and uh, learn a couple of lessons. But I really have learned over the years uh, of following Jesus that uh, what we hear often very soon after we hear it, God has a supply. It may be that God's plan is to root uh, from you some relationship that's become more than a relationship. Maybe some friend that's become more than a friend. Uh, maybe a gift that God has given you that's become more important and taken the place of the giver. Here's the big question. If he does that, do you trust him enough to acknowledge 
that he knows better, that he has a better way, that he has a better plan. Before you leave the campus this weekend, whichever one you're at, and walk out into the cool air and maybe go home to watch your game on ESPN or do a little Christmas shopping, just I would encourage you to pause and evaluate and just ask yourself, honestly before God, am I holding things loosely? Am I in a position for God to use me and take me where he wants to take me? And then if you're here this weekend and you've never made the decision to let go of control of your life and trust your life to Jesus Christ, I, I, I encourage you, I pray that this will be the weekend where you accept Jesus Christ as your savior so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can be restored back into a relationship with God because I tell you, he has an incredible plan and purpose for your life. Father, we thank you for the fact that you love us. You love us so much that you gave your son to die for us when we weren't even interested in being in a relationship with you. You loved us so much that you took a man named Abraham, you called him out of Chaldea. 2,000 years later through his descendants, you brought the Messiah. And now here we sit 2,000 years after that, 4,000 years you've been pursuing us to be in a relationship with us. That's how much you love us. And Father, I just pray that we could get to the point where we trust you for the journey that now that we're in the fold with you, that you want to take us on. For those who've never made that decision, Father, give them the courage to make it, the courage to go by next step at any of our campuses and just talk with someone and solidify that decision. Let us come alongside of them and help them as they begin this journey with you. And Father, we give you the glory for what you're gonna do in all of our lives. In your name we pray, amen.